what I suggest people to do is take a look at the fundamentals of the real estate deal and whatever cost segregation has to offer. That's just going to be an additional you know, cream on top of, of everything else. Cost segregation isn't going to make a bad deal good. It's going to make a good deal better. Welcome to the Path to Wealth, the show about well-being, fulfillment, and financial freedom. And I'm your host, Hannes Henschi. Welcome back to the Path to Wealth. I'm your host, Hannes Henschi. In today's episode, we have an inspiring guest who is a renowned cost segregation expert, Mark Gross. We will explore his expertise in cost sex studies to increase cash flow and decrease taxes, focusing on the power of cost segregation in commercial real estate. With over a decade of experience, his insights are invaluable. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. Of course. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're speaking on stages like last week, uh, you know, down in the Carolinas. So definitely someone I want to have a conversation with on the, on the podcast. So thank you for making the time. You're welcome. My pleasure. So for someone who hasn't quite wrapped their head around, what does cost segregation, uh, cost segregation do for the general investor? Like an, as an LP, what do I benefit from if my GP goes out and does a cost segregation study? Sure. Let's first of all talk about what happens if you don't do a cost segregation That's study. Good, yeah. And that is when you buy a property, what will happen is the CPA will do a straight line depreciation. So you take a look at the acquisition cost. You have to subtract the land value because you can't depreciate the land. And for residential, like multifamily properties, it's going to be a straight line depreciation for 27 and a half years. And for all other property types, that will be a straight line depreciation of 39 years. So what we do is we provide an alternative to that. And what cost segregation does is with our studies, we will identify what are the components within that property that can be depreciated faster. And there's such a thing called bonus depreciation where you can actually do the lion's share of the depreciation in, in the first year. Now, that's not going to be all of your structural components within your property because you're still going to have the bricks and facade and all those other things which are still going to need to be straight line depreciated but our study will identify what's the components that can be depreciated faster and, and that's what what we do and then the question is well how, how does that benefit me well th think about it this way let's say you have a net operating income of a hundred thousand dollars and you pay taxes on that based on whatever your tax rate happens to be well what if our study creates an additional one hundred thousand dollars of depreciation now depreciation is an expense but it's a non-cash expense and it was still net against your income so rather than paying income on your one hundred thousand you would pay nothing And if the study creates an additional amount more than you can utilize in that first year, it can be carried forward indefinitely until it gets used up. Yeah, so it's a very powerful tool. In terms of bonus depreciation, lately I heard a talk that they're considering not phasing it out. Is that a thing? Um, yeah, just within the last week or so, there's been, well, first of all, let's, let's back up as far as, you know, bonus depreciation. Yeah. The bonus depreciation for new acquisitions came about at the end of 2017 as part of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. And what it basically indicated is that any componentry with a less than 20-year life could be depreciated 100% in the first year of ownership. And let me repeat that. When you buy a property with bonus depreciation, 
Anything with the 20 or less year life, you can depreciate 100% the first year. So think yeah. about it this way. Uh, car- carpeting will be a five-year par- property. Parking lot would be a 15-year. And you're able to, to depreciate that faster. Now, what you're referring to is that there was a phase out with that. And, yeah. and the last year for 100% was in 2022. And it goes to 80% in 2023 with subsequent reductions of 20% per year until it goes away. However, in the last uh, week or so, there's been a conversation in Washington, D.C. about uh, extending that. And what that would do is make uh, 2023 retroactive to 100% and extend that through 2025. However, we all know it's very political in nature. And I've been asked, you know, when's, when's that going to take effect? Well, we don't know. Uh, so all, all I basically say is stay tuned, see what Washington, D.C. will uh, we'll do. <laughs> which which could be anything and nothing you know it's like but I, i guess it's good that it's on the table i mean we we've, yeah, you're, uh, you're... we've tremendously benefited from it already you know it, like everybody who's actually making use of bonus depreciation i think had an amazing run in the last six years uh, so that would be an, a great tool to have in the toolbox to make properties and deals Uh, work more beneficial because right now you know you probably know deal flow is significantly down uh, you're probably also affected from that so it would it would enable in the current interest environment to maybe pencil out more deals attractively for lps because they get that bonus depreciation on top yeah that's possible you're right because of interest rates that is affecting deal flow however some people have the misconception that If bonus depreciation goes away, then cost segregation goes away. And that's not the fact. I mean, yeah. we've been doing this for 20 years. We're the largest in the industry, having completed tens of thousands of studies over the years. And that even if bonus depreciation were to go to zero, you can still use cost segregation. And that is the, the like what I indicated previously, if you have carpeting, which is a five-year property, rather than do that over 27 and a half years or 39 years, you can do it over five years as an example. But from an incentive perspective, it also, like, let's say we do multifamily value adds. It also incentivizes me to focus on short-term improvements because I do want to do the improvements that uh, give me, I guess, kind of the most bang for the buck. And also if I get the cost segregation, I would like to focus on those that benefit me more. Do you think that that occasionally can maybe lead to less structural investment in the property? Um, possibly. Sometimes uh, people will ask me, you know, what's the best thing I can do to take advantage of cost segregation for in buying properties or property types or things of that nature? And even though that's what I do, I think the fundamental should be what's the best real estate deal, regardless yeah. of what cost segregation is. You have to buy it right. You need to, you know, are you doing a value add? Are you going to change it from a from a C to a B class property? Um, you know, what's your exit strategy? There's, there's so many other variables. And I what I suggest people to do is take a look at the fundamentals of the real estate deal and whatever cost segregation has to offer. That's just going to be an additional you know, cream on top of, of everything else. Yeah, I'd say and, yes. So and, and if I could just add to that is, you know, Cost segregation isn't going to make a bad deal good. It's going to make <laughs> yeah. a good deal better. Okay, that, that's a good one. <laughs> I, I like that one. That you just throw a great tagline here. It's uh, it's it's not going to make a great deal out of a bad deal. 
And I, I think that's also, especially in this market environment, you just have to focus on those fundamentals and then take all the benefits of bonus and depreciation and cost segregation. So what's usually the process for someone who is, starts working with you? In, uh, For example, at which point of the acquisition should a GP reach out to you to get a sense of well, what, what they can um, offer their LPs in terms of cost segregation or bonus depreciation? Sure. Um, it, it really varies significantly. Uh, sometimes people don't contact me till after they close on the property. I have people right now contacting me that closed on properties in 2022 that are on extension for their taxes and they want their studies done this summer so they can get filed. Yeah. We don't recommend that necessarily, but, you know, sometimes, especially with syndicators, they want to get the K-1s out to their, you know, their LPs earlier. Yeah. Um, but sometimes I'll have people contact me on a new construction deal, even, you know, before they break ground on it, because they want to see what the what the uh, estimated numbers are to put into their pro forma. Now, they wouldn't actually move forward to put the study until actually, it, you know, they've completed it and it's in service. But uh, it, it really varies, and sometimes it varies depending upon the time of the year. Like I had some clients that closed on properties in December this past year, but they wanted to have it done right away before tax season, so we got it done right away. But let's say you're, you're buying something in January of 23, you don't need it until, until the following year. So yeah. um, sometimes people move ahead right away, but they'll, they don't have to. They can do it later on in the fall. So what is your preferred time that we should out reach out to you? So, you know, I, I mean, we're just actually now, uh, as we're recording that, we're like uh, in June and some of our K1s are just coming in, obviously. So, you know, as a, as a GP, as an LP, you also kind of want to have a healthy cycle and you want to have all of your per paperwork lined up. So we generally tend to want to work as smoothly as possible and predictable. So what, what's like kind of the preferred timeline for yourself? Uh, where should someone who is underwriting a new property involve you in, into that? Sure. Well, again, it kind of depends on what, what time of the year is and when you have, want to be filing your taxes. But, um, but what, the way our process works is that we have a questionnaire that you fill out which will give information about the property. And what we'll do is in, within two business days, provide you with a free preliminary analysis of a very conservative estimate of what the savings would be. And then the cost of the study, our cost of study is not a percentage basis based on the amount of work that's required. Um, also 100% of the time, we always do a site visit for every single property. We know that by being able to do that, we can not only provide the maximum amount of depreciation, but we will also defend that study at no cost in case there's ever an audit. And of the tens of thousands of studies we've done, we've never had a study overturned. Yeah. So you're able to do that because you have a nationwide network, right? So uh, from coast to coast, you're able to walk properties in person. Yes. I mean, we, we have boots on the ground throughout, throughout the country. And uh, like I said, said we, yeah, we will do a site visit for every single one. And I'll give an example of, you know, pretty much everything we do is domestic here. However, I did get a C CPA contact me recently about one of his clients with the U.S. taxpayer who purchased a property in Paris, France. And he wanted to know whether or not we could do a cost segregation study on that one as well. Now, there's totally different rules for international properties, but we were able to provide him with analysis for that as well. 
for instance, there's not bonus depreciation for international properties and, and things of that nature. Oh, I didn't even know that's a thing. So as a U.S. taxpayer, if I buy international property, I can do a cost segregation on that with a U.S.-based cost segregation company and tie that into my American tax paperwork. Yes. Yes. Oh, wow. Well, <laughs> that's, that's very interesting. And that counts for any country in the world? Or is that, uh, do they have to have a treaty, like, for example, France and the U.S. or Germany and the U.S.? They have certain kind of trade treaties tax uh, treaties, um, or is that literally for anything? Like if I buy a property in the Philippines, that will apply equally? Um, I can't say that I'm an expert on that since I haven't had a lot of experience with international. What I would suggest is that if, if there's a unique cir circumstance like that, let's take a look at it and then we'll be able to provide guidance on, on what it is for that particular uh, country. Yeah. Okay. That, that's very interesting. So going back to the the multifamily property bonus depreciation is phasing out um, cost segregation is obviously staying as you already said um, what are what are some of the items that can be deducted in the first five years that you that you think powerful tools to maybe ma make a dent in the business plan for example you mentioned earlier that uh, parking lot takes 15 years and the parking lot is a major capex for the syndication. So is anyway something that we don't like to touch if we don't have to. But what, what are some of the, the items that are within the five-year period that would really make a, a difference on the property in terms of the appearance and the overall feeling of what the property has for the tenants? Sure. Uh, what you're looking at, it could be appliances, it could be parking, uh, park, excuse me, uh, carpeting, um, electrical uh, things, things of that nature. Uh, flooring, you kind of have to look at the details because depending upon the type of flooring, some some you can depreciate within a five year, and some actually has to be straight line depreciated. So it really just depends on on what the detail is, and that's why. With the individual studies that we do, we're able to uh, very exhaustive analysis with our engineers to identify what are all the pieces and parts within the property that can be depreciated faster. Like, for instance, you know, our engineers will, will zoom in on, on, the, on a picture and look at what's the model of this security camera so we can take a look at what's the cost basis for, for that. And then the other thing you, you mentioned previously was something about, you know, CapEx renovations. We, we can do an additional analysis on not just the acquisition of the property, but also what type of renovations you're doing so you're able to get benefits from, from that as well. Yeah. Um, what's the difference between the flooring? Is it, for example, hardwood floor and then maybe we have vinyl flooring or if we have tiles, which of those actually uh, have a different, different time horizon on the depreciation? Yeah, it would be more with with the, with the hardwood would be an, an example of that. But there are so many different variations of it, and that's why I mean it's it's not really cut and dry as far as um, for me just to be able to make a statement on th this type of flooring versus another one. Yeah. And sometimes it has to do with how it's secured to to the floor and things things of that nature. And that's what our study will identify. So, who who decides what? What appreciates in which way or depreciates rather? Um, like, is there is there a, a government agency that looks into all the different models and applies like, okay, this will 
fall apart in this many years and this how this needs to be depreciated like if I, if i think about for example you mentioned security cameras and models like there's probably new camera models coming to market every year yes what what we'll do is be able to uh, to identify all, all that uh componentry uh within it huh interesting it's a, it's such a complex topic ones i mean that's that's why there's people like yourself who are experts and then you tie in engineers who look into all of the nuances of it uh to really make sure that the, well yeah and if i could just follow up on that a, a look yeah and if i could follow up on that a little bit you know we're not making the decisions ourselves this is all based on what's in the irs tax code so yeah. what our engineers do is it's they they take a look at what's in the tax code and we will apply that tax code to the to the tax studies we're not making up any of this stuff ourselves and that's why we have a perfect record in regards to uh to to backing up all of our projects we've had some clients that have been on, under audit and we've successfully uh, you know, defended them with no problems because it's all based on on adhering to the irs tax code yeah what what are some other interesting components about cost segregation that you think syndicators and gps that underwrite deals should know about well I'm not saying it's intentional, but I think sometimes there's a misunderstanding uh, as far as what the benefit can be for, let's say, an LP, a limited partner uh, versus uh, a general partner or maybe even one of the investors who might be a own other properties or maybe they're a real estate professional or has a spouse as a real estate professional. It's kind of the gold standard is if, if you're a real estate professional or have a spouse's real estate professional, the deductions can not only go against uh, the gains within that property, but also go ahead and offset your W-2 income. For instance, I have a, a surgeon on the East Coast who's a very high, high net worth uh, or high uh, W-2 uh, earner, but his wife is a real estate professional. So the losses that come from all his properties can actually offset his high W-2 income as well. And I think sometimes there might be, uh, again, not maybe intentional, but misrepresentation to some of the limited partners as far as how they can, can benefit. So what we always suggest is that you go and talk to your tax counsel to find out what your unique circumstances are to make sure that you, you understand what benefits you can take advantage of. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's certainly a, a status that uh, I hear, especially like in the conference part of things, you know, where people are uh, still maybe hovering between W2 and they're trying to achieve that status of being a real estate professional to make uh, or take advantage of, of additional tax advantages, yeah. Yeah, and I'll just follow up on the real estate professional. You know, there's a there's a real clear definition from the IRS as far as what is a real estate professional. For instance, are you working at least 750 hours a year in in that? Do you have documentation to support that? You don't want to have a W two and claim you're a real estate professional because that's going to be a red flag for for an audit, and in all likelihood, you're not gonna you're not gonna pass that. So it, it is there if you can take advantage of it legitimately. What does successful documentation look like? Like, is it travel? Is it going to conferences? 
uh, do investor meetings, for example, like we go to restaurants all the time, meeting with investors or other GP syndicators. Uh, if we document those, do they count towards those hours or what is proper um, paperwork to prove this to the IRA, IRS looks like? Well, you do need to have documentation. I would suggest that you, you do it on a daily basis. Um, I heard of one situation where someone was audited for that and they had it all in, in paper and they, the whole thing was written out with one pen for the entire yeah. year. Well, the IRS looked at that and go, you just made this up at the 11th hour. So uh, I would suggest anybody to go to the IRS website to find out what is are all the requirements as far yeah. as that's con concerned. I mean, what are the activities that you can legitimately do? But I think those things you mentioned are, are very good. As long as you're actively in, involved in that profession, then those, those could count toward that. Yeah. And, it, it needs to be the primary occupation. So even if, if I do uh, 750 hours within real estate, if I have a different occupation where I put in a thousand hours a year, uh, then it's, it's, it doesn't count, right? Correct. Yeah, it has to, has to be specifically for the real estate portion of it. Yeah. Yeah, this is an interesting one. But for example, somebody who has a spouse that maybe doesn't have a primary job, 750 hours is, it's, it's really just like three hours a day for any given day during the week. Yeah, so, it's a long, it, especially if you own properties, if you're more, um, materially participating in that, you know, maybe you're looking, helping with, with renters or leases or, or things of that nature, or maybe an underwriting process. I mean, there's a whole lot of different activities that can count toward that. Let me give you another example. If I have multiple properties as an owner that are not necessarily, for example, multifamily properties, but they are properties. And if I start renting a single apartment in one of those, would the, the work that I do around that house count towards the real estate professional? Let's say, for example, I have to work with a designer, architect, landscaper, and I have to manage them. And maybe just a single unit a single room out of out of that um, building is actually rented would that all still count towards a real estate professional yes that, that's that's very interesting so then if you do start documenting it you you can take all of the tax benefits and carry it over okay this is this is really interesting yeah yeah and it reminds me of another situation some people will, will present a portfolio of properties to me and maybe they'll present their primary residence as well. And I'll say, well, you know, we, we can do it on investment properties, but not your primary residence. Well, we have some people that maybe own a duplex and they live in one and they rent out the other one. Yeah. Well, in that particular case, we can do a cost segregation on just the one unit that's for investment purposes that they rent out, but not the one for primary uh, residence. Yeah, got it. So if I were to rent out a single room let's say in in a brownstone in in New York, then I only get to do cost seg on that one room compared to like on a multifamily property, we do get to do the cost seg on the entire property. Well, yeah, you get into a, an interesting question here in regards to what's the threshold as far as what size properties doesn't make sense. Yeah. And the, the threshold that we use is going to be about $250,000 or greater, excluding the land value. Mm-hmm. Because you need to be able to uh, 
be able to make the numbers work because obviously there's a cost associated with the study and to make sure yeah. that it's beneficial. If you have something that's less than that, it, it, it may not be worthwhile. And another thing to take into consideration is, you know, what in what circumstances does it not make sense to do a cost segregation study? And one of the questions on our preliminary analysis is, you know, what's your hold period going to be? Are you going to be holding that period for elite, that property for at least three to five years? Because there's something called a recapture tax. If you buy something and you sell it within a year or two, you're going to be subject to that. And uh, we, we don't suggest, in fact, I just had a situation yesterday where someone presented me with four properties and he's going to be selling them uh, in, in 2024. And I said, it doesn't make sense for you to go ahead and do that because of the recapture tax. So even, um, even applies to bonus depreciation? It, it would it'd be the same. You can still get that bonus depreciation. But but again, um, you want to be able to hold that period, that property for a period of time to make it make it worthwhile so and the mark is 24 months so so would you want to be able to after you do your cost segregation study be able to hold that period for at least we suggest three to five years in order to get the in order to get the payback on it so if you're going to if you're going to buy something to flip it we, we don't suggest you do it okay because we've seen a lot of transactions uh especially in the last five years especially in the arizona area phoenix dallas uh markets that have been moving very, very quickly in terms of pricing. A lot of the volume turned around in like sometimes even as little as 18 months, 24 months, deals were bought and sold. And, um, and, and I think that from what I'm gathering, a lot of those still took bonus depreciations. Yeah, well, you have to take a look at the, the total picture. Typically, I would say you want to hold it for at least three to five years or longer. Yeah. based on what you anticipate you're going to be able to, to sell it for. However, we all know, especially in some areas where prices have spiked a whole lot. And sometimes the better, I've had someone do this uh, with, with some hotels that he bought. He went ahead and he had the studies done, but he said someone came along and offered him stupid money for it. And everything is, is, is available for sale at the right price. So yeah. he had, he took that into consideration. He was still better off selling them and paying that recapture tax, um, because of the, the profit he was going to make on it. However, we want people to be cognizant of, of, of that recapture tax and put that into their equation when they're, when they're buying, when they're, whether or not they do that. So, but how does the IRS? execute on that like what does how do, how does that get triggered let's say i am an lp and uh, my gp returned money to me within 24 months of acquisition how does that recapture tax get triggered and how does that play out for the gp and the lps that's probably a question better suited for the for the cpa as far okay. as how that's going to be treated okay yeah because i i think this would be a risk that many lps are not aware of and i would guess even gps are not I, I agree, and, and I'm not trying to v v avoid the, the question, but frequently what happens is the devil's in the details, and you really need to understand what all the unique circumstances are. And for me to put out there a blanket statement and say this is the way it is, there's so many different nuances that are out there and, and specifics yeah. that that it's hard to cover what every single scenario. Yeah, it makes Makes perfect sense. And like everything, it's nuanced. You know, it's uh, as you said with the flooring earlier, it's nuanced. Deals are nuanced. That's the nature of it. And that's, I think, why this, 
why people really need to know what they're doing. And if they don't know what they're doing, they need to work with experts like yourself. Yeah. And, and I, I just thought of another situation that, that sometimes comes comes up. And uh, for instance, I did uh, four properties recently in Hawaii, which were Airbnb type properties, and they were condos. And what's interesting there is that depending upon the condo association, um, they may not own any of the land. So what, what did I say earlier for cost yeah. segregation? You take a look at the purchase price, you subtract the land. In those particular situations, you could actually take a look at the entire acquisition cost and depreciate that because there was no land allocation. Yeah. And I had that situation occur sometimes with um, with like land leases. Let's say it might be a uh, a Walgreens store or so, or some yeah. other retail yeah, thing where they're actually buying just the lease, but not not the land itself. In that particular case, hundred percent can can go against the depreciation without subtracting the land. Yeah, very, very nuanced. There's also one case that I've seen last year, and I, I'm not certain this might actually be more like a CPA thing again, but where I saw a private equity firm going into the deal to some degree, and they weren't interested in the uh, bonus depreciation in, in their allocation. So the way it, it was at least advertised on that investment is that more of the overall cost segregation and bonus depreciation benefits are bestowed on uh, the actual the other LPs that are not part of that particular part of the capital stack, which made it over a hundred percent over their investment. I've heard that there can be different ways to do the allocation. That's really outside the realm of what we do. We do the studies, yeah. we provide the information, and then what what the CPAs or the you know the GPs do in regards to the distribution. You know that's something we don't get involved with. Yeah, obviously, but I I thought that was really interesting because it's again it's such a nuanced thing, but it can be a powerful tool to know. So I I just wanted to throw it out there and and see if you've heard about it too, because it's something that we only mm -hmm. very rarely saw on on different investment opportunities, and in that particular one it was very significant uh, because there was a lot of private equity money in the capital stack, which allowed the other LPs to uh, have a, a different level of benefit in the overall depreciation. Yeah, there's there's so many different variables. <laughs> yeah, but that's also, that's why I think it's so interesting. You know, it once you get into nuances, once you learn the ropes, once you speak with experts like yourself, once you build yourself a successful team, you know, that includes somebody who is a professional cost segregation and lawyers and, and other professionals around yourself who, who are really focused on multifamily syndications, then you can get into all of those nuances and really dial in. And I think especially where we are in the market cycle right now, this is more important than ever before because like, I, I keep referring to the golden decade of multifamily. It lasts 10 years in terms of where interest rates were and how prices moved and uh, how immigration patterns were. It was a market where I think many people could make money, but now we're in a market where only the really good, well-connected, dialed-in operators will succeed. Yeah, and, and one situation or several situations I see right now is when people are having a hard time penciling out a deal, um, sometimes we're looking at alternative methods, which might be uh, seller financing and maybe even have the seller still stay in the deal to, to some degree. And sometimes yeah. doing, being able to maybe uh, 
have a uh, assume a loan as well, loan assumption, and that's some other alternatives as well. So people are, are being creative as far as what, what the different options are in this new environment. I know it's going to be a challenge for some of these people, especially those that that uh, had some bridge loans that are out there that will yeah. be coming due, and uh, that's has been a challenge for some, and and will probably continue to go in that direction, unfortunately. Yeah, I think data is pointing to more pain in the markets. There will be will be more pain, which is again, it's the opportunity for others. You know, whoever is positioned mm -hmm. well has experts at hand, has cash at hand. There's there's more opportunity coming. Yeah. Uh, another thing I'd just like to mention real briefly, we talked about the size projects and things of that nature. We also do it, do it uh, not just for, for multifamily, all property types, um, but also single family homes or long-term or short-term rentals. And again, the criteria for that would be $250,000 or greater, excluding the land value to be able to make it uh, make sense. So basically anything in New York. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> there's, yeah, I, I don't think there's anything you can touch here for less than a quarter million dollars. <laughs> yeah, but I've I've had some where, which are in some uh, rural tertiary markets where that may not be the case. But you're right. Yeah. You know, yeah. in the in the boroughs there, Manhattan or Southern California, a lot. Actually, most areas of the country, that's not an issue. Yeah. So, Mark, where can people connect with you, find you, or, you know, uh, get their cost segregation studies done? Sure. Well, I'm on LinkedIn, and I have uh, over 10,000 uh, contacts there. And uh, I also, uh, they want to send me an email. I'm at markgross at costsegregationservices.com. And I'd be happy to provide anybody with a free preliminary analysis for any property type nationwide. Awesome. Well, Mark, thank you so much for your time. I, I really appreciate you giving us more insights on cost segregation. And we, we definitely learned a couple of different aspects. Like, for example, I had no idea that we can do cost segregation internationally. So that's uh, very, very helpful. And thank you so much for your wisdom. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you very much. Hope you have a great day. Thank you for joining us at The Path to Wealth. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check out our upcoming guests and be sure to share it with all your friends and family that want to take their life to the next level of wealth.